Well, welcome everyone to uh, the final Lean Six Sigma series uh, educational component, uh, where we will be talking about tools. Now, I want to make sure that we don't re that we remember that that this is not the final component of what our effort and our effort is relative to our Lean Six Sigma series. We will follow this with several interviews of individuals who have uh, been successful and identify those uh, maybe some individuals that haven't been successful in working through and what are the things that worked and what are the things that didn't work as ways to help you. Uh, as you move forward. So back to this uh, episode, what we're going to talk about is tools, and we're going to jump right into it. And uh, not going to talk about every tool because we could be here for weeks, uh, but let's just talk about a couple of them. Uh, there's one that's identified as SIPOC, which is uh, the initials of the acronym for Supplier Input Process Output and Customer. And what this does is it helps put a good framework together for you to help you identify those X's and those Y's that we've talked about many times and identify what are those critical to quality kind of requirements that help you look at your X and Y. So the framework would be that you would boo what is the SIPOC kind of model? And we can we can end up with and start with the well, any mix that we have, but the sequence does really work out pretty well. So the supplier is maybe your appointment desk, your receptionist. The input might be the visit, might be the triage, might be the provider in the exam room. The process could be the visit itself, could be the exam, could be the care plan. Uh, the output would be what? The, the individual, the x-ray, the surgery schedule, the next appointment, a uh, prescription, and the customer. Hmm, why is that last? Because as you think about this, what's the most important part, again, is identifying the customer as to how that customer is served by the supplier, by the input, by the process, and the output. <clears throat> So if we look at the examples that we have, uh, I think it's really critical to keep in mind kind of what that is. So SIPOC is one tool. Another tool is something called the process map or a flowchart. Many of you are familiar with this, so we don't wanna spend a lot of time on it, except for the fact that what this does is it helps create a good picture of the flow so that you can see the push-pull question, you can see all kinds of other aspects that go on where your barriers are, where your blockades are, where your gaps are. So uh, the example that we typically refer to is the, the patient uh, process of the visit. And that's basically a five-step process where you have check-in, you have the triage, uh, activity, then you have the encounter with the provider, uh, you have the post activity, some required follow up from the provider uh, related to the patient activity, uh, care plan, whatever, and then of course check out. So <clears throat> you can have uh, different specific tools, uh, eDraw, uh, Excel itself. Uh, there are a number of other kinds of tools that are really available to you to help you formalize these types of uh, items. But you can also develop this with your team by using a brown paper on the wall, a white paper on the wall, uh, and sticky notes. Have your team identify what they do, what are their tasks that they have each step along the way, and then <clears throat> post those up on the, on the, on the uh, brown paper. And then as, as you go through, you can say, well, here's an affinity situation, meaning that uh, there, three people put the same thing together 
together so you can consolidate and make sure that you uh, eliminate any duplication, but you get a clear picture of what it flows. And <clears throat> by doing it with, with brown paper or white paper on a wall with sticky notes, what you do is you involve everyone in the process and it's inexpensive as to where you go. Now you can go beyond that kind of idea on the process map and do what's called a value stream map. So what you do is you actually track the minutes uh, and the time required for each of the steps along the way. So if we look at check-in, maybe that takes four minutes. Maybe the triage takes six minutes. Maybe the time with the provider is 14 minutes. The time in the post activity is 13 minutes and the checkout is seven minutes. But what that means is we have a process cycle time of 44 minutes. That is <clears throat> including all of those items, which we would refer to as business value and value add components. However, as you look at your value stream, what you'll also end up with is a lot of gaps, barriers, or delays, and a lot of waste. So <clears throat> let's take, for example, between the check-in and the triage, there's a wait time of 32 minutes. There's a wait time between triage and the provider time of four minutes, a wait time from the provider to the back to the medical assistant uh, for the post activity of three minutes. And then there's a delay from the post activity to the checkout because what? There's a delay there. So what we end up with is in this example, 47 minutes of what? 47 minutes of wasted time, non-value added time for a total cycle time of 91 minutes. Now <clears throat> that may be typical in your practice, but what is the value add and the value time that that patient has? The value stream map helps you take a look at each one of those steps along the way and identify what goes into it. Now, you might look at this and say, well, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fix the wait time because that was the big number, 32 minutes. Well, it's difficult to fix the wait time uh, if the rest of the process is not working. So when we think about this, go back to our uh, stages that we talked about earlier when we talked about pull. Is each stage ready or are we pushing? Well, in this example that we've just identified, there's a push every time because there's a delay. There's a wait between each one of the phases. And so we haven't pulled the system or pulled the patient through. We've actually pushed up against the next stage. So if we wanted to fix this, do we fix it how? Well, is there delays in our value add time or are there delays that are simply caused by the, the, the uh, non-value add time. Well, maybe if we take a look at the post activity, and we said that was 13 minutes. Well, if it was 13 minutes, maybe there's prescriptions, scheduling for imaging, uh, maybe scheduling for the next appointment, maybe communicating with the patient about the next steps, and then, of course, escorting the patient uh, from the uh, exam room to the checkout area. Well, maybe some of those things can either be done by a, a different individual, could be done at a different time uh, or in a different location. Uh, there are a lot of different things that you could take a look at that would help you identify through this tool what you could do better or do differently, do at a different time uh, or with different individuals don't know, I am not suggesting any of these answers, just challenging you to think about this.
Another tool that we use is called the Nishikawa diagram. And I really like this. The Nishikawa diagram is also called a fishbone diagram or cause and effect diagram. And what this is, is you have an effect, <clears throat> which is the problem. And then the causes are identified and arrayed in a fishbone. So you have a spine, which is a line that draws directly to the problem. But off of that spine are different bones. And those different bones could be different categories. For example, you could have uh, process act, uh, identified uh, causes. You could have practice, overall policies and procedures identified. You could have payer issues. You could have patient issues. Uh, so you could take those four Ps of process, practice, payers, and patients and say, give me uh, bullet points, give me items in each one of those different aspects that lead to and what could be the cause of our problem uh, that we have. So a problem might be the new patient intake. And we'll use different uh, bones off of our spine uh, where we talk about machine, manpower, methods, and materials. So machine might be that our computers are, are designed so that we only have 15 minute slots. Uh, and how does that work with a new patient intake? We might have poor training. We might have uh, uh, staff turnover for our manpower issues. We might have poor policies and procedures uh, that relate to the methods that we go about. Or we might have uh, the paperwork or we don't have, uh, or the materials, excuse me, or we would have paperwork or we would have computers or terminals in the wrong locations, or we've gotten cheap and haven't bought, bought uh, tablets for people that we should have bought tablets for or whatever. The point is, is that any one of those particular causes could have what, what really is our problem here or are in effect is that is delays or difficulties in our new patient intake process. So as we think about the cause and effect uh, process, let's identify the effect itself. What is the problem? And then we go back and look at and use this tool of the, and, and again, you have to visualize this uh, fishbone and you have to visualize the idea that, hey, there's a lot of different things along the way. And again, you can do this by what? Using sticky notes on a white paper and how that particular scenario might work out together. Another tool I really like is called FMEA, Failure Mode and Effects Analysis. It's not FEMA, this is FMEA. And the idea here is that it's really a structured approach to brainstorming. And where we wanna go with this is we wanna be able to say, okay, what, what is a good example of our uh, use of the, the tool here. Uh, so we, we put a, a spreadsheet together and we emphasize what is, what is the function, uh, what is the potential failure point, and then what are the effects of the failure and the effects of the failure, the causes of the failure and the process controls that we have. So this is somewhat detailed, but the idea would be that we would have uh, <clears throat> severity, uh, occurrence and detection. So how severe is the problem on a scale of one to 10? What is the potential occurrences or the, the potential causes on a scale of one to 10? And then do we have anything in place for controls? So if you've got something that is a, a real potential 
and severe, that's a 10. If you've got something that occurs frequently uh, or that causes the failures, that's a 10. And if we don't have anything in the process control components, maybe that's a 10 as well. So what we end up with is a risk priority number of combining those three, 10 times 10 times 10, we got a thousand points. So if you, if you were to say, have a bunch of functions such as appointment time, reading the patient, wait time in the reception area, wait time in the exam room, provider time. Oh, we're following through on our process map, uh, kind of looking at things. And now we're taking another look at, instead of using value stream, we're looking at assigning weights to what is the potential cause what is the potential failure? And then do we have anything that's available to us to detect? When you come up with your risk priority number, it might be, again, a very large number, which would say that's the one we want to focus on fixing, or a very small number, which basically says that might be working okay in our system. So as we then look at this, we would just simply want to go through and identify what is a good solution for how we might uh, go about it. And what we want to do is we want to reduce that risk priority number into a more manageable number that would make sense for us as we go. I like another tool, and that is we talked a little bit about this in terms of the charts that you might use, but there's something called a control chart. And a control chart is really kind of cool as you look at it. And an example would be uh, that you, you say, uh, I've seen that we use 40 patients earlier in an example. We use those 40 patients. And what we did is we said, what is our control limits? In other words, an upper limit and a lower limit. And those control limits, if, if the activity falls within those control limits, off of which is a range off of our average or our mean, uh, then that's okay. Anything that falls outside of our control limits, our upper control limit or our lower control limit, then creates a bit of a problem for us. And that's where we need to focus. So that's another way of helping you identify where are my gaps, where are my barriers, where are my problem areas, where's my 20% exception kind of scenario that we, that we have as we go forward. It's kind of fun to be able to do this. Now, <clears throat> the typical way that uh, the uh, universe does the uh, control chart is it's a range within three sigma of the mean. So if we're uh, if we have a three sigma variance and uh, we want to take a look at that, uh, we find how many of our activities are either above or below or outside of our control limits. And the more that you do that, the better off you are as as to where where and how you might want to look at what goes on. With, with how that fits together. So uh, I think it's really kind of cool to do that, but we've also done that without the Sigma model and just use a 10% or a 20% range for your upper and lower control limits. And the reason we do that is simply because it's easier for people to understand and to communicate what our real objective is, is to try to help keep everybody within that control. Another tool that we like to use is something called five whys. And the five whys is 
go back to your cause and effect diagram and say the causes are this. Well, what is the cause for this? Why did that happen? One, why did that happen? Two, why did that happen? Three, and you just can simply keep asking the question, why, why, why? And, you know, five times is really what the, the label is. It may not take five times to get to the real root cause. But the idea is, is if you drill down in asking why, 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 you'll be able to come up with some really cool solutions on this. Another thing I really like to do uh, is something called tack time. And so when you're communicating with your providers and you say to your provider, how many patients would you like to see uh, in a day? Well, let's say they like to see 25 patients. Okay, well, how many hours are you willing to work? Are you willing to work eight hours in a day? Uh, okay, if you do that, you take the 25 patients, eight hours a day, that gives you 19.2 because you divide the 25 into the 480 minutes in the day and you come up with 19.2 minutes per patient. But if you wanna take a 30 minute break, so you're only working for seven and a half hours, uh, that's a four, 450 total minutes or so you've actually done 18 minutes per patient. But if you only work a six hour day, uh, which is 360 minutes, you still wanna see 25 patients, that gives you 14.4 minutes per patient. And if we're on a 15 minute schedule, hmm, we've already got a problem. So the idea here is just finding ways that you can communicate with your providers and be able to have them better understand what goes on and how the world works. It's kind of a fun thing to do as we move forward. So <clears throat> uh, just kind of summarizing the whole thing here. We've talked about DMAIC as a deployment platform. We did an introduction talking about culture and what we hope that you've been able to gain from this series is that DMAIC is a good structured process, a good deployment platform. PDSA also works because you can do the plan, do, study, and act where you do the DMA as part of your plan. Then you do the, the pilot test. Then you do this, the review of your pilot test, which is the study. And then you end up with the act, which is your control. And so what we hope is that you've been successfully educated, trained, challenged, encouraged to think about the use of these tools as we move forward. Now, <clears throat> we're not gonna conclude the series with this. We will follow this series with a bunch of uh, interviews with individuals. So you won't have to put up with just uh, me uh, talking. We'll be able to look at and hear from a lot of others what they've done in terms of successful or run into barriers themselves in trying to change the culture and implementing uh, Lean Six Sigma strategies in the practice. If you have any questions or comments, again, please don't hesitate to reach out to odal at owendahlconsulting.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And I wanna thank you all for your time and attention as you've thought about, looked at and considered what goes on. So best of luck to you and thank you.